Father, we thank you for your mercies upon us. Thanks for your watch, your goodness, your protection, and your love. As we study your word, I pray, dear Lord, that you'll open more hearts and our minds that we can understand. Forgive us, we pray, for our sins. Bless and protect us, keep us from harm and danger. And I pray, Father, that as we study and our minds are enlightened, we'd be able to draw closer to you and we'd be able to tell people about your love, tell others about your love, so they too can be saved in your kingdom. Bless us and bless everyone who listen. And we ask that when time comes to an end, we'll be able to be saved in your kingdom. We ask his mercies in our Savior, Jesus the Messiah's name we pray. Amen. Our study will be on who was Jesus. And we're going to compare Jesus to some of the other well-known teachers or preachers or starters of various religions. Was Jesus just a teacher, as Nicodemus said in John 3, verse 2? Was he a madman, as some of the Jews said in John chapter 10? Was he possessed by devils? Some said this also in John chapter 10. Was he a blasphemer, as some said in Mark chapter 2 and verse 7? Did he deceive the people, as some said in John chapter 7 verse 12? Or was he just one of the prophets? I hope as we do this study, we can answer every one of these questions. Because if Jesus was just a teacher, then he could not be the Messiah. If he was a madman, then that would be worse. If he was possessed of the devil, then he couldn't be the Savior, and he couldn't be sent from God. So again, as we study this lesson, we'll see just who Jesus was. Was he just a holy man like Krishna, or Buddha, or Joseph Smith, or Muhammad, or just like the Pope? Jesus' birth was told over 4,000 years before it occurred. As soon as sin came into this world, there was a Savior. Notice in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is God speaking to the serpent in the Garden of Eden as soon as he came and spoke to Adam and Eve after they had sinned. And notice what he said, that the serpent's head, serpent representing the devil there, would be crushed. But in crushing the serpent's head, the promised seed, his heel would be bruised. Bruised, heel bruised in the sense that he would suffer but then he would be resurrected. But there's no resurrection for the devil, that old serpent and Satan. He would, his head would be crushed. Revelation chapter 3 verse 18, Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So as soon as sin came into the world, in order for Adam and Eve not to have died at that point, a lamb representing the coming Messiah died at that time. And in Revelation, John said that Jesus was that lamb 
was slain from the foundation of the world. So over 4,000 years before he came into this world, it was predicted that he would come into the world. And in fact, his manner of death was already predicted. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, God speaking to Abraham, and in thy seed shall all, not some, you know, there are some people believe that the Israelites, the Jews, were given the Ten Commandments and given uh, the really special people only to God in the Old Testament. But notice that God speaking to Abraham told him that in his seed, and not seeds, in his seed shall all nations on the earth be blessed. And notice what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promise made. He said not unto seeds as many, but as of one unto thy seed, which is Christ, which means the anointed one, which means the Messiah. So the seed that was promised in Genesis 3 verse 15 is Christ the Messiah who came over 4,000 years later. 800 years before his birth, his name was given. His mother's status was also given. A young lady or a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel means God with us. So the Messiah as we're going to point out late and show later on, the Messiah was the creator. Our Redeemer is our creator. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found of child of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Ghost came upon Mary and through the Holy Ghost, she conceived that child. It wasn't through Joseph's sperm that Jesus was born. It was through the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, is God with us. So Isaiah 8 hundred years, over 800 years before Jesus was born, told us that his mother would have been a virgin and his name would be called Emmanuel. Now look at some of the other holy men. Buddha. A name ceremony was held on the fifth day after his birth. His name was given after his birth. Jesus' name was given 800 years before his birth, at which eight invited Brahman scholars read the future. So the future of Buddha was read after he was born. Not so with Jesus. Information about him was predicted up to 4,000 years before he was born. Continue reading. All gave a dual prediction that the baby would either become a great king or a great holy man. 
You know, it's not just five people in the Bible gave predictions before Jesus was born. Many, many Bible writers before he was born gave predictions through the Holy Spirit as to his work. And we're going to look at several of these predictions. Krishna. Notice what he said about Krishna. When Mother Earth, Mother Earth became upset by the sin being committed on Earth, she through thought of seeking help from Lord Vishnu. She went in the form of a cow to visit Lord Vishnu and asked for help. Lord Vishnu agreed to help her and promised her that he would be born on earth. Again, not so with Jesus, not so with the Messiah. Before sin spread on the earth, as soon as the problem developed, he himself came seeking out Adam and Eve. He did not wait for Adam and Eve to respond. He came seeking them. Adam, where are you? And then he himself said that the seed would be born through the woman. So Mother Earth did not have to take the form of a cow to go to Lord Vishnu, for Lord Vishnu to come and help with the sin problem on earth. Jesus, 2,500 years before birth, Moses prophesied. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him shall he hearten. How was the Messiah like Moses? In this respect, then, the Messiah would be like Moses. You see, Moses delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt. The seed, or the Messiah, would deliver humans from the bondage to sin and death. So just as Moses was instrumental in leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, so that promised seed would deliver human beings from sin and death. Because you see, that was the problem that Adam and Eve took the whole human race into. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree, that God had told them that they should not eat from it, and God said, the consequence of you eating from that tree would be that you would die. And death passed on to all of Adam's descendants. So like Moses, leading the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage, the Messiah came to lead us from the bondage to the devil, the bondage of sin. 800 years before his birth, Isaiah prophesied. Isaiah chapter 53. This is a long reading. We're going to go from verse 1 to verse 11. Notice what Isaiah is going to say about the Messiah. Like none of the other holy men, none of them can ever put forward a claim like this. Before he was born, 800 years, notice what he's saying. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire. You know, many times you look on the internet, you look at books that 
portray Jesus the Messiah, you'll see a handsome young man. Notice what Isaiah said. When you look at him, there's no outward beauty that anyone would desire of him. No one would want to marry him. No young lady would want to marry Jesus because of his physical appearance. Because his physical appearance never attracted anyone to him. It was that inward beauty that attracted people to him. Verse 3, he's despised. He's rejected of man. A man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our face from him. He was despised and we esteem him not. Now you can read about some of the famous heroes. How they were strong, how they were beautiful, how maidens flocked to, to them. But when Jesus came into this earth, the Bible said he was a man of sorrow and acquainted with our grief. It sorrowed him. It grieved his heart to see suffering. He identified with what we call the outcast from society because he came to take up our iniquities. Verse 4, surely he had borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He did not come to this earth to lead an army. He came to this earth to suffer over for our sins so that he could heal us. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearer is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Eight hundred years before his birth, his death was also prophesied. He was taken from prison and from judgment, for he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was his stricken. Jesus came to this earth, lived, and then finally was put to death, not because he did something wrong, but because he's dying for the sins of the whole world, not just the nation of Israel. Verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked. How did he make his grave with the wicked? Because when he was crucified, two thieves, two criminals were crucified with him. Continue reading verse 9. And with the rich in his death. How did he come in contact with the rich at his death? Because he was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. A rich man he was buried in his tomb. These things were predicted concerning Jesus the Messiah over 800 years before he was born. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it was promised that a seed would come. And when 4,000 years later, when the Messiah showed up in Israel, he came to die for the sins. Not just for Adam and Eve, but the Bible said, for the whole earth. 
over 550 years before his birth, Daniel prophesied the date of his birth, the date of his baptism, and the date of his death. Daniel chapter 9, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish transgression and to make an end of sin. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and to build Jerusalem, because at that time, if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Jerusalem. He came up first and attacked Jerusalem in 606 BC. He came back in 599 BC. And finally, about the year 588 BC, the city was again besieged and captured and burned, and the temple was burned and destroyed. And in prophetic vision, Daniel now is speaking about the cleansing of a sanctuary. Remember, we don't want to go into this study now, but remember, there were two sanctuaries. There was a sanctuary on earth, there was a sanctuary in heaven. So notice what Daniel is saying about now the restoration of the sanctuary in Jerusalem that was going to be rebuilt when the Jews left Babylon and go back to Jerusalem. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the anointed one, the prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Now notice in verse 26, after three score and two weeks shall the Messiah be cut off but not for himself. He was going to die, but he wasn't dying for himself. He was dying for the sins of the world. Verse 27. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, again, in the Bible, a week then of seven days, prophetically, a day represents a year, so that seven-day week would represent seven years, the Bible said, in the midst of the week, the Messiah would be cut off. He would cause the sacrifices and the grain offering, the oblation, which means the grain offering, to cease. So, if, again, if you remember the text we pointed out in Revelation, that Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. When Adam and Eve sinned, God instituted a symbol whereby sins could be forgiven until the Messiah came. A lamb, an animal, was killed. The sin of that person was transferred to the animal. That animal would die so that the person would live. That animal, the sheep, the lamb, represented Jesus. All animal sacrifices pointed forward to the coming Messiah. When the Messiah came and he died, then animal sacrifice ceased. And here we have Daniel in prophetic vision giving us the time when the Messiah would die. We can know the exact time from studying the prophecies in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 10, even up to Daniel chapter 11, Daniel chapter 12. Now let's look at some of the holy men. Buddha, the exact time of his birth is unsure, but the exact time 
of Jesus' birth was given. In fact, the Bible told us, or we can read in the Bible, that when Jesus was born, wise men came from the east asking, where is he that's born king of the Jews? But the time of Buddha's birth is unsure. It's believed he lived unto, into his 80s. Again, nobody knows the exact age that he died. But the Bible tells us the exact year, the exact month, the exact day, and the exact hour in that day that Jesus died. And from knowing that, we know how old he was when he died. We know how old he was when he was baptized, anointed, and started his ministry. We know the exact year. We know the exact month, the exact day, and the exact hour of his birth. Because all of that is in the Bible. And there will be lessons on this webpage that you will be able to follow to see the exact time that he was born. And just to let you know, it was not at Christmas on December 25. By tradition, going back to Buddha, he is said to have been destined from birth to live the life of a prince. He had three palaces built for him, not like Jesus. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief, and he came into this world not to be a prince, but to be a sacrifice to die for us. The exact place of his birth was given. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, but yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, who is going forth have been from old, from everlasting. So again, I want you to understand, Jesus was the creator, or Jesus is the creator. He became man in order to die and save humanity. And that's what Micah is saying here. Whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. Now notice what he said in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. Now when Jesus was born, we are in Bethlehem of Judah, exactly as was predicted by Micah. In the days of Herod the king. Notice it's given the historical background. It's like saying it was born in the year of a certain president or the year of a certain prime minister or the year of a certain ruler of a country. The Bible is giving us the exact information here. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Verse 2 saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his stars in the east and are come to worship him. He is born king of the Judeans, but they are coming to worship him because through the scriptures coming from the east, they knew that he would not only save the Jews, but he would save them also. Luke chapter 2, 1 to 4. And it came to pass in those days, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Because you see, brothers and sisters, the Bible had said that the Messiah would be born in the, in the town where David came from. But at that point, his parents, Mary, was not living 
in Bethlehem. So here we had something now taking place so that she would go up to Bethlehem so that Jesus would be born there. Verse 2, and this taxin was first made when Cyrenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. So in order for the people to pay their tax, they had to go to their birthplace. Now notice this, Luke chapter 2 and verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. That's where Galilee is. At this point, Joseph and Mary were living in Galilee. Out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. So notice Joseph left Galilee. He traveled all the way south to Nazareth, even though Mary was pregnant and close to having a child. They had to go to the town where they were from in order to register for this taxation. Because, continue reading, he was of the house and lineage of David. He had to go back to his ancestral home for this registration. And because of that, the prophecy then was fulfilled. Look how close it came. The Bible said when they went up to Bethlehem, they could not find room in the end. Therefore, the Messiah was born in a stable, in a manger. If she, if, if she had waited, waited just a few more days, the Messiah would have been born in Nazareth. And that would have disqualified him from being the Messiah. Because the prophecy said his birthplace must be in Bethlehem, the place where his ancestor David, that's where he came from. Jesus' work, Luke chapter 4, 18 through 19. Notice what he said. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, and the word anointed means the Messiah. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. You know, some of the holy men never came or wanted to come in contact with poor people. But notice Jesus' mission was to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive. Remember we had said that Moses led Israel out of captivity in Egypt? Jesus did not come to leave us from physical bondage. Yes, his preaching will get us out of physical bondage. But notice, it's the captivity to the devil that Jesus came to deliver us from that captivity. Continue reading and recovering of sight to the blind, not just the physically blind, but the spiritually blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised by the devil. Israel was in captivity in Egypt, and Moses, their deliverer, led them out of Egypt. We need a greater deliverer. We need a deliverer from sin, from sin and the devil. Verse 19, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now look at some of the holy men. Buddha is said to have developed, developed superhuman abilities. He had no need for sleep. He had no need for food. 
He had no need for medicine. And because he did not become contaminated, he did not, did not even need to bathe. Now, it's not like that with our Messiah, the Savior of the world. He was acquainted, a man acquainted with our sorrows. He bore our iniquities. He was thirsty, John chapter 14, when he met that woman at the well. He was hungry sometimes. Remember when he was going through Samaria and he had sent his disciples to get uh, food to eat. Many times you find that he had to sleep because he was tired. Unlike Buddha, it's not like that. We today have a high priest because when Jesus died and rose from the dead, went back to heaven, he became now not just the lamb, but now he became our high priest. We have a high priest who is touched with all the feelings of our infirmities. Not like Buddha. Buddha is not touched with the feelings of human infirmities. He didn't need to sleep. He didn't even need to eat. Early texts suggested that Buddha was not familiar with the dominant religious teaching of his time until he left on his religious quest. Again, brothers and sisters, it wasn't like that with Jesus. He came into this world because he was the promised Messiah. His father tried to prevent him from seeing the sick, the age, and suffering. Not like Jesus, not like the Messiah. The Messiah was acquainted with human uh, frailties. Jesus ministered among the poor and the outcast. Again, notice in Luke chapter 4, he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken heart, to preach deliverance to the captive. So unlike Buddha, Jesus was well familiar with sick and suffering and poor. Look at Krishna. As a young man, Krishna overthrew and killed his maternal uncle, reinstated Krishna's father as a king of the Yadavas and became a leading prince at the court. Jesus did not fight war. Krishna married a prince by abducting her at her request from her proposed wedding with another person. He married eight queens. He subsequently married between 16,000 and 16,100 princes who were held captive by a demon in order to save their honor. Krishna died when a hunter shot him in his left foot, being mistaken for a deer. He never grew old or suffered from human limitation. So just like Buddha, these holy men did not suffer human limitation. But the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, he suffered just like any other human. 
Krishna had ten sons from each of his eight wives. So he had eighty sons. Was Jesus confused as to what to do when he came to this earth? Notice in Luke chapter 2, verse 48 to 49. And when they saw him, his parents, Mary and Joseph, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? At twelve years old, he's saying this to them. We see not that I must be about my father's business. He was not confused as to what he should be doing. John chapter 4, verse 22. Notice what he said to the Samaritan woman. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Why is salvation of the Jews? Notice what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. What advantage then had the Jews? Verse 2, much in every way. Why? Chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Israel was chosen, the lineage of Abraham was chosen to be a light to the whole world, not just to 12 tribes. Not just to one tribe, the Jew. It was to the whole nation of the world. Remember God said that in Abraham, the seed of Abraham, all the world would be blessed. So the information concerning the Messiah was given to Israel. So there was an advantage then of being born in Israel because more than likely a person would have learned about the true and living God. This information was not given to Israel for them to become exclusive and think that they are any more special than any nation among the living. Because God has made from all flesh, from one person, all flesh descended from Adam, from Eve, from one couple, so there's no, nothing special about Israel. It's just that the way of salvation was committed to them. Now, if the way of salvation was committed to Israel, then why is it that we need modern day, or why is it that other holy men coming up, holy men who are not even familiar with human frailties and human suffering, Notice Muhammad. Muhammad is almost universally considered by Muslims as a lost prophet sent by God to mankind. While non-Muslims generally regard Muhammad as the founder of Islam, Muslims consider him to have restored the unaltered, original, monotheistic faith of Adam, Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and other prophet in Islam. Again, notice who Muhammad is. He's coming to restore something about Abraham, something about Adam, something about Moses, something about Jesus. Muhammad then is considered the last true prophet. But again, 
Was Muhammad familiar with human cruelties like Jesus? Did Muhammad come into this earth to die for sinners promised like Jesus? Was the birth of Muhammad predicted over 4,000 years before he was born? Muhammad was born in Mecca approximately 570 CE, the common era. Notice that Jesus' birth was predicted over 550 years by Daniel, the exact time of his birth. The exact time of Muhammad's birth is not known. After his childhood, Muhammad primarily worked as a merchant. What was Jesus doing? For the first uh, 30 years of his life, he lived and worked among his own people. And then at the age of 30, he was baptized, anointed, and started his ministry. Occasionally, he would retreat to a cave in the mountain for several nights of seclusion and prayer. At age 40, Muhammad was reported that he was visited by Gabriel and received his first revelation from God. Jesus did not wait until the age of 30 years to receive any special revelation. At the age of 12, he had already discovered, he understood what his mission to this earth was about. Continue reading on Muhammad. To escape persecution, Muhammad sent some of his followers to Abyssinia before he and his followers in Mecca migrated to Medina in the year 622. Muhammad led an army of 10,000 Muslim converts and marched against the city of Mecca. And again, the earliest surviving written biography of Muhammad and quotes attributed to him was written about 767 of the common era. And if you remember, Muhammad died 632. So the earliest written record of Muhammad is believed to have been written about over 100 years after his death. It was like that with Jesus. The people who wrote about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were people who actually lived and walked with him. We have eyewitnesses record concerning Jesus. It's not like that with any of the holy men. The people who wrote about them wrote sometimes hundreds of years after they had died. Jesus was never the leader of an army. Notice what he said in John chapter 8, verse 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servant fight? You see, again, the reason why we have fighting among religious denominations and different countries today that have different religion is because they're fighting for space on earth. Jesus said, my kingdom that I'm setting up is not of this world, so my servants need not fighting. Now, how can someone today believe that Jesus is the prophet and still fighting among 
one another, fighting and killing human beings, fighting and killing each other. My kingdom is not of this world. Luke chapter 9, verse 56, the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's life, but to save them. And you know what he did? The Bible said he went to another village because he was going to Samaria and the Samaritans did not want to receive him. And the disciples wanted to find out if they should call on fire from heaven. And Jesus said, no, nope. the Son of Man did not come to kill. If, God, if Jesus did not come into this earth to kill, then how is it that his servants would be killing today? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give life. He did not come to kill. Notice what he said. He said, feed my sheep. He did not say, kill my sheep. John chapter 21, verse 15 to 17. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, yes, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus responded, Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He never said to Peter or any of the disciples, Go into all the world and kill. He said, Feed my lambs. Verse 16. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep, not kill my sheep. The third time in verse 17, notice again, we don't have to read all of it, but notice the last line. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. His death was predicted 800 years before his birth. In fact, his death was predicted from in the Garden of Eden over 4,000 years before he was born because the Bible said his heel would be bruised. He came into this world to die because of the sin that Adam and Eve had committed. But here we have Isaiah in prophetic vision predicting his death. Notice in verse 11 of Isaiah 53, he shall see the travail of his soul and he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Iniquity, sin, is what separates us from God, and the wages of sin is death. And Jesus came and died the death in our place so that we can live. Notice what Peter said in Acts chapter 10. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of person. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preached peace by Jesus, the Messiah. He is Lord of all. That word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism which John preached. How that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, with hope with the Holy Ghost and with power. And what did he do? He went about doing good 
and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. So Jesus was not fighting against another nation. Jesus was not fighting against armies. Jesus was fighting against the kingdom of the devil. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all these things. So the people who wrote about Jesus lived and witnessed and saw what he did. We are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hung on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. So here is an eyewitness saying that when after Jesus died, he came back from the grave on the third day, and it wasn't anything secret. He was shown openly to the world. He was in a country that was being ruled by another country who was, as it were, the greatest power at the time, the Roman nation. So Rome knew about what Jesus did because Herod and Pilate were Roman governors. They were Roman kings ruling in the land of Israel at that time. Notice in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28. And when he was come to the other side of the country, of the Gergesene, they were making two possessed with the devils, coming out of the tombs, exceeding the fears, so that no man might pass that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Notice, it was a confrontation with the devil that caused Jesus the most problem. He did not fight against armies of human beings. He was fighting against legions of evil spirits. Again, because he came into this world to destroy him that had the power of sin and death, that is, the devil. His trial and his death was predicted. Now notice something here about the Sanhedrin. Jesus was tried by the Sanhedrin, a religious assembly of 70 men. But previously, he had asked them this question. John chapter 8, verse 46. Which of you convicted me of sin? None of the up to 71 men, none of them ever came forth with any evidence that Jesus had committed any sin. Because you see, Jesus never sinned. He lived on this earth even though he was a human being. By depending on the power of his Father, he lived a sinless life so that then he could die for sinners. The Sanhedrin judge accused lawbreakers but could not initiate the arrest. But who arrested Jesus? Luke chapter 22, verse 52 tells us, Then Jesus said unto the chief priest, a member of the Sanhedrin, and captain of the temple, members of the Sanhedrin, and some of the elders, members from the Sanhedrin, which were come out to arrest him. Now, the Sanhedrin should never initiate the arrest. But here we have the Sanhedrin going out to arrest Jesus. He was arrested by members of the Sanhedrin. 
it requires a minimum of two witnesses to convict a suspect. But notice in Matthew chapter 26, verse 59, what took place. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council, what did they do? They sought false witnesses against him. Why? To put him to death. Because none of them could find any evil in him. So what they did, they hired false witnesses, but found none. Yes, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses, and what did they say? And said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God. And then what, what did they say? And to build it in three days. Now, it's something to destroy a building, but has anyone ever heard of anyone rebuilding a building in three days? Earlier in John chapter 2, the Jews had said that it took 40 and 6 years to build the temple. So they knew that Jesus was not speaking about the physical temple there. Yes, he could destroy it in a moment if he was going to be a, a, a terrorist and blow it up. But then it would be impractical for him to build it back in three days. But you see, when Jesus made that statement, he was not speaking about the physical temple. He was speaking about the temple of his body, that he would die, he would lay down his life, and then on the third day, he would be resurrected. And they're taking that statement and trying to condemn him with it. Notice here again, there were no attorneys. Instead, the accusing witness stated the offense in the presence of the accusers. So if someone was going to accuse Jesus, they themselves should come forward and make a statement. Witnesses did not come forward against Jesus. They were sought out and they were paid. The great Sanhedrin met daily during the daytime. Let me read that again. The Sanhedrin would meet daily during the daytime, and they did not meet on the Sabbath or festival or the eve to any festival. So when they met to try any case, it would be daily during the day. Not on the Sabbath, not at festival or festival eve. But yet notice, Jesus was arrested at night, and it was on the eve of the Passover. Luke chapter 22, verse 52 to 53. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temp temple and the elders which were come to him, be he come out as against a thief? I'm not a thief. Why are you coming out as if you're coming out against a thief? With sword and staffs. When I was daily with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. They came at night to arrest him. That was against the law. 
in Israel. You should not arrest and try a person at night. But you see, the devil is the one that works at night. And that's why, being led by the devil, they came out to arrest him at night. They never again had courts on the eve of a Passover or any religious festival. But notice in Matthew chapter 26, verse 3 to 5. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by what? Subtlety, by craft, by trickery. It's a sin. They were trying to get him by trickery and to to kill him. But they said, not on the feast days, lest there be an uproar among the people. So the plan was to arrest Jesus and kill him, but not at the time of the feast. But the Bible predicted that Jesus would be the lamb that would be slain for the sin of the world, and he would die at the Passover feast. So although they did not want to have a trial at the time of the Passover, yet we find on the very day that the Passover would start, the evening of that day when the Passover would start, we find them arresting Jesus, having a trial to condemn him and put him to death. Brothers and sisters, again, notice, they did not want to have a trial at any time of any of the feasts. But before the Messiah came into this earth, it was predicted that he would be slain at the time of the Passover feast. And that's why Paul said, Jesus Christ, our Passover, died for us. Again, notice the similarity. Moses told the children of Israel to kill a lamb and put the blood on their doorposts while they were in Egypt. So that when the angel, the dead angel, came and slayed the firstborn of the Egyptian, their firstborn would not die. And then, in order for them to come out from Egypt, Pharaoh, fearing that all of them would die, allowed them to leave. So the lamb died so that Israel could come out of Egypt. Jesus died at the time of Passover so that we can be delivered from bondage to sin. We can come out of the bondage to sin. To convict Jesus, the charge was changed. Notice Matthew chapter 26, verse 63. The high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be Christ the Son of God. That was why he was arrested. He was arrested because they said he was stirring up the people against the Roman uh, rule. But notice, they could not find anyone and they could not convict him for that because all the witnesses were false witnesses. So what did they do? They changed the charge. His conviction was based on who he was, not on what he had done. So Jesus died because of who he was. He died because he was a promised seed. He died because he was that lamb. All the lambs 
the animal sacrifice that was performed, all those animal sacrifices pointed to the fact that when the Messiah came, his death would cause our sins to be forgiven. John chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. What did the Romans say? Notice what Pilate said in Luke chapter 23, verse 4. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. No one found a fault in Jesus. Jesus did not die because he was a criminal. Jesus died because he died for the sin of the world. John chapter 19, verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Luke chapter 23, verse 13, reading through to verse 15. Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that, notice, perverted the people. And behold, I have examined him where before you have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof he accused him. Jesus never sinned. Jesus did not pervert the people. Jesus did not stir up rebellion. Jesus did not get to the head of an army and went and fight. Jesus was at the head of an army fighting, if you want to call it that, against the devil. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to preach to those who were held captive by the devil. He came to open the spiritual eyes of those who were blinded by the devil. And when the Sanhedrin and the religious council in Israel wanted to get rid of him, they took him to the Romans. It's interesting, church and state united to get rid of Jesus. But the Romans said, we found no fault in him. Notice in verse 15. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him. And lo, nothing worthy of death is found in him. Jesus died not because he committed a crime. Not because he led an army against the Romans. But because he led an army against the devil. Jesus came to die for sinners. Matthew chapter 27 verse 19, when he was set down in the judgment seat, his wife, Pilate's wife, sent unto him saying, have thou nothing to do with that just man? Even Pilate's wife mentioned that Jesus was not a criminal. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. What did the Roman centurion say? Matthew chapter 27 verse 15. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake 
and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this is of a truth. Truly, this was the Son of God. So, this was the reason why he was killed. He was killed, he was put to death because of who he was, not because of what he did. What did others say? Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the malefactors, one of the thieves, which were hanged, real and insane. If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus, the Messiah, could not save himself. If he had saved himself, then we sinners could not be saved. So he had to die innocent. He had to die so that we can live. Notice what the other thief said. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same, same condemnation? But notice what the other thief said. Verse 40. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, he's saying that they were dying for the wrong they did. We indeed justly, for we received the due reward of our deeds. We were dying because of what we did. But notice what he said. But this man had done nothing amiss. So why did Jesus come into this world? Why did he die? John chapter 10, verse 10. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So Jesus came into this world for one purpose. He came to die so that we can live. He did not have to start a religion and fight and kill people. He did not send out his disciples to kill. He sent out his disciples to seek and to save the lost. Why did he come into this world? John chapter 12, verse 7, 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this hour. He came and he died. He came and he died at the very time that the prophets prophesied that he would die. He died because of who he was. He did not die because of what he did. He did, he did not do evil. It was because of who he was. John chapter 1 verse 29. John seeing Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So Jesus came to this earth and he died, and he died for the sins of this world. He died so that whosoever will can live. The Creator is the Redeemer. Notice what John said in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, 
and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwell among us. Brothers and sisters, in the beginning, the word was with God. The word was God. The word, all things in this world was made by the word. The word was Jesus, that promised seed that was promised to Adam and Eve from in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3, verse 15, over 4,000 years before he was born. That same promised seed that was promised that would come through Abraham. It was that same seed that, was, that made the world. So our Redeemer is our Creator. Mohammed can be a good prophet, but Mohammed is not the Creator. Krishna can be a good teacher, but Krishna is not the Creator. Buddha can be a good teacher, but Buddha is not the Creator. But Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, he is the creator, according to the Bible, according to Abraham, according to Paul, according to Moses, according to Joshua, according to Samuel, according to Elijah, according to all the prophets, Emmanuel became flesh. The creator became flesh. Notice again verse 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He lived among human beings so that he was familiar with all the frailties of human beings. He took up on human nature so that he can save humanity. And we beheld his glory. Eyewitnesses wrote the books in the Bible. Eyewitnesses, people who lived and breathe and walk and talk with the Messiah, they wrote about him, not like some of the other holy men whose writings came about hundreds of years after they died. The writing concerning Messiah, these writings were done by human beings who live and walk and talk with him. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, not full of violence, violence and vengeance and killing. Jesus did not send his disciples to go and kill the sheep. Jesus sent the disciples to go and feed the sheep. Christians don't need to go and wars and crusades. Christians don't need to do that. Christians need to go out and love their enemies. Christians need to go out and teach the way Jesus taught, to seek and to save the lost. Not to tie bombs around them, blow up the bombs and kill themselves and kill people. Jesus wants us to live for him. Others might put us to death the same way they put him to death. But Jesus calling 
for those who will go and live for him. Brothers and sisters, I want you also to look at another study. It's called the two covenants. You see, every religious movement have a special time when they come aside and worship. Today, Christians have their worship time, special worship time, on Sunday, the first day of the week. Muslims have their special worship time on Friday, the sixth day of the week. I want you to take a look at the study that's on the same webpage, the two covenants, and the $1,000 challenge to Sunday worship or Friday worship. I pray that as you study, the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth so that you can become a disciple, a follower of the Messiah, the Creator who came to this earth to die for the sins of humanity. He came to die so that we can live.